Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello and welcome to episode number 159 of The Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? I'm your host, Chris Tripodi, and with me, as always, is Tony Pauline, and we're back with you again to break down what we saw in week eight of the college football season and take a look ahead to the key NFL draft matchups of week nine. But first, Tony, the Big Ten finally made its return to the field Saturday and provided plenty of action, including a big upset we'll discuss in just a bit and a big performance from a freshman quarterback who then tested positive for COVID-19 along with one of his backups. Now his head coach as well. That game's officially been canceled for this weekend. And this is on a team that had lost its original starting quarterback to injury, no less. So kind of continue just riding the ups and downs of this unprecedented 2020 season, but the show does go on. It does. And I I think that's the danger of starting this late uh, with the, as the big 10 did, and it's going to be just as bad for the PAC 12. I mean, if you have any legitimate chance uh, to play, get into the final four and hopefully play for a national title, or even if you want to pull an upset, you know, if your game is postponed or actually outright canceled as Wisconsin finds its game against Nebraska, they're not going to be able to make it up as per se, the Floridas or some of the other teams that we have seen that have uh, postponed games and we will be able to make it up on the off weeks. But I guess the big news as far as this podcast is concerned is my partner, Chris Tripodi is a dad. He, uh, he had a baby boy or well, actually his wife had a baby boy. I know this is <laughs> 2020, but uh, wife had a baby boy. So I, I know uh, we extend all our congratulations to Chris. Uh, I think the big question, Chris, that everyone wants to know is, did you name the baby Tony? Well, thank you uh, for the congratulations, Tony. And uh, despite the fact that my dad's name is also Tony, uh, we did not name the baby Tony. His name is Levi Hudson Tripodi. And uh, if anybody hears any crying in the background, I promise you it is not me. 99% likely it is also not my wife. So we now know that there could be a crying baby in the background here. And, you know, we'll just roll with the punches. And as I said in the intro, the show must go on, right? Crying baby on your end, barking dog on my end. It never ends. (laughs) I have a dog too. He just, she just doesn't bark. Uh, We'll get right into today's show here in just a moment for you guys after this word from our sponsor. The NFL season, along with the college football season, is now in full swing, Tony. And while you may not be at the game this year, you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Former Jets running back Le'Veon Bell plays his ex-teammates this week in his new Chiefs uniform. You can bet on his over-under of 62.5 total yards or whether he'll score a touchdown. The latter set around 40% that he will. Tony, you going to take either of those bets? I think uh, Le'Veon Bell will have 62.5 total yards by the time the first quarter's over and will have already scored his first touchdown. So uh, if I was a betting man, which I'm really not, uh, I would go on the over on both of those. Now, there's your advice. Take it to the bank here, guys. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there's always the online casino as well. It never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Now for this week's For the Record, it does feel like we talk about Trevor Lawrence every week on this show, and rightfully so, but it also feels like there's kind of a new twist to the story every week, 
this week is whether he'll stay in school if the Jets are picking number one to avoid going to New York, a la Peyton Manning in 1997. Lawrence kind of added a bit of fuel to the fire when he said, quote, we'll have to see how things unfold, end quote. And that was part of a much longer quote. Obviously, you can take a look if you're curious to the full quote. But when asked if he might come back, that's what he said. Now, bear in mind, most players aren't going to publicly declare their intentions in October, especially when they play for teams with national title aspirations. But Tony, do you actually think Lawrence would go back to school if the Jets get the number one pick just to avoid playing for gangrene? No, I, I think this story is much to do about nothing. I think it's uh, basically writers trying to spin something that uh, Trevor Lawrence said. They're trying to add words to him. Trevor Lawrence wasn't asked if the Jets have the first pick of the draft. Will you go back? And Trevor Lawrence himself, if you watch the full quote, if you watch the video, said, I'm really not thinking about next year. I, I'm more con- con- concerned about this year. So, no, I, I don't think Trevor Lawrence is going to pull a Peyton Manning. You remember, Peyton Manning went back because, one, he wanted to fight and win, for, or na- win a national championship, which Trevor Lawrence has already done. He wanted to go back and win a Heisman Trophy, which Trevor Lawrence is likely to do this year. And Peyton Manning went back because he wanted to be Florida. And he was 0 for 3 in all those categories. That was the reason that Peyton Manning went back. It wasn't because, you know, the New York Jets had the first pick of the draft. So I think this is really something that a lot of people are writing about because they got nothing else to write about. I think it's much to do about nothing. And I think in the end, if Trevor Lawrence, if the New York Jets have the first pick of the draft, Trevor Lawrence is going to opt in and will be selected by the New York Jets. Yeah, I mean, I tend to agree here. I mean, if you, again, read the whole quote, it's pretty much just a cookie cutter standard quote that, you know, a top NFL prospect would talk about when asked if he's returning to school. As you said, there was nothing specifically mentioned about the Jets in this quote. And it's simply, you know, as you said, people saying, oh, he might stay in school. It could be because of the Jets. You know, it probably isn't. If there might be any franchise in the NFL besides Washington, that a player might do that to avoid, yeah, it could be the Jets. But at the same time, if you're coming out and you're going to be the number one overall pick, and also what we've seen from Trevor Lawrence on the field is that the dude is the ultimate competitor. The ultimate competitor kind of guy isn't somebody who runs away from a situation like Washington football team, like the New York Jets. The ultimate competitor, a guy that really truly believes in his in himself is somebody who is going to go to that situation and say, you know what, I'm going to make things better. I'm going to bring this franchise, you know, from, you know, the dumps that the Jets have been in for almost a decade now. Obviously, we have the AFC Championship games at the beginning of this decade. But, I mean, a guy like Trevor Lawrence, a guy with that kind of mentality, you would think he wants to go number one. Um, Just, you know, everybody wants to go number one. It's a huge honor and just, you know, shows everything you've been able to accomplish throughout your career. And these guys have the kind of level of confidence that they can, they believe that they can turn a franchise around. And I don't see Trevor Lawrence being any different. Yeah. Again, I mean, he stated that, you know, at the end of the year, he was going to enter the draft. That's what he said before the season. If he wins the Heisman trophy, he's basically done everything you can on the college level. And I agree with you. I mean, he is a competitor and, you know, people talk about, will he pull an Eli Manning, pull an Eli Manning? Well, Eli Manning, entered the draft and he basically forced a hand for the San Diego of the San, then San Diego Chargers because he wanted to play in New York. I think Trevor Lawrence, you know, <laughs> realizes that there's much more to be gained and much more upside by winning in New York than bypassing the opportunity to play in a place other than New York. 
Absolutely. We'll get to our week eight reviews now. And the big story of the week, as we mentioned in the intro, was the return of the Big Ten, the big story of the week in that conference. And, you know, overall as well, only real top 15 upset of the week was Indiana toppling Penn State in overtime, 36-35. And the main reason we were interested in this game wasn't because we thought Indiana had a legit shot to pull the upset. Obviously, they did. But it's because we wanted to see Rasheed Walker, the left tackle for the Nittany Lions, against James Head Jr., the pass rusher for Indiana. Two guys that rank inside the top 100 in Tony's rankings. Walker about a round and a half higher than Head. And if you look at this matchup, Indiana won the game, but Rasheed Walker won this matchup when these two were up against each other. James Head Jr. really struggled to get off blocks when he was engaged with Walker. And now Walker did this to everybody on the Indiana team. I mean, he was pulverizing people in the running game. I think he pancaked at least three or four defenders on three or four separate plays. Really impressive guy in terms of the power that he blocks with. Um, one thing that I was a bit concerned with on Walker, it looks like you know his technique isn't fully there. He's a young guy, uh, so he still has a lot of time to develop, but you know he would end up on the ground a bit just from his own momentum, just drive blocking. Um, you know, he would end up on the ground. It's not really that he's bending at the waist, just that he probably just needs to work on that technique a little bit, but does a great job keeping his feet moving through the wrist. really tenacious blocker against the run and enough athleticism where he can develop against the pass, even if he's not super fast sliding off the edge, but he had plenty of speed to the edge to make sure that James Head Jr. could not get to the quarterback and Head really didn't look particularly explosive. Um, didn't play a ton of snaps either. Maybe he was on the field. It seemed like maybe 50 to 60 percent at the time. I got washed out a lot against the run, really just struggled to get off blocks, even when he wasn't going up against Walker. So, I mean, if we're going to choose a winner between Walker and head in this matchup, this might be one of the areas where Penn state came out on top of Indiana. First thing is uh, this was a hell of a game to watch. I mean, it was so much fun back and forth. And I got to be honest when Indiana missed on fourth and 13 and they uh, gave up the ball, to Penn state deep in their own zone end zone, I turned the game off figuring (laughs) that, you know, the game was over. And then lo and behold, I see that the game is in overtime. And I'm saying to myself, what the hell went on? And I saw that phenomenal performance by the quarterback, Michael Penix, who uh, basically unseated Peyton Ramsey, who's now playing at Northwestern. And what he did, I was like, wow. I mean, it was just a fun game to watch. Absolutely agree with you. I mean, we go back over the summer. If you listen to our podcast, our Big Ten podcast, the second half of it when we did – the latter, the teams, the latter teams in the alphabet. I talked about Rasheed Walker. Uh, it was my top offensive prospect from Penn State, only surpassed by uh, Micah Parsons. I had him then as a potential first-round pick. He is just so good, and I see so much upside in this guy. Yes, he needs to finish his game. I kind of disagree with you in the fundamentals in the sense that maybe his balance needs to improve a little bit. Maybe his consistency needs to be, improve, a little, improve a little bit. But he bends his knees, he gets his hands up. You know, I think it's just a, a question of more experience. But wow, I, I mean, I don't know how everybody is not talking about this guy right now as a potential top 42 pick because he's big, he's mobile, he's flexible, he's dominant. I, I mean, he's a powerful left tackle who moves well on his feet just so impressed with him uh, and his play Uh, and I agree with you about James Head I mean I thought he played relatively well against the run in the sense that when he had a free shot he was able to pursue laterally to the action and make the tackle I think he gave a lot of effort but he was constantly stymied at the point of attack whether it be by Walker 
or another uh, offensive blocker at some point in time. Even the uh, the tight ends were handling him. I gave Head a third round grade coming into the season because I liked the potential he showed. Granted, he did not capitalize on that in the first game of this season. There's still plenty of season left. Let's see what happens to him. Yeah, I mean, even for people who aren't impressed by offensive line play or don't necessarily watch offensive line play, I mean, Walker stands out. I mean, you see him. He, As you said, he was dominant. I mean, he's just putting people on the ground constantly. You can't miss him out on the field. And that really doesn't happen that often with offensive linemen. It's very easy to get kind of lost in the shuffle. There's a lot of technical aspects to it. And, you know, if, if you're noticed on the field as an offensive lineman, a lot of times it's because you've done something bad. You've allowed a sack. But in this case, Walker was noticed for what he was doing in a positive sense on the field. And, you know, what you said about head against the run, I mean, they were pretty much running right at him, read options. They were leaving him unblocked. Um, you know, they were giving him the opportunity to read and make plays. And he did make a couple, certainly. But, you know, it, they were just pretty much optioning him the entire time. Granted, a lot of that is probably because they wanted to neutralize him chasing plays down from the backside, like you said. But even still, you know, an interesting outing from head. Not quite what I expected to see. But, I mean, Walker, as you said, I mean, wow, is a, is a great word to describe it. Yeah, I, I mean, he's a guy to be interesting to see what happens. Like you said, he's a young guy and, and he's he's good now and he's got great upside. So uh, I've not heard that he's going to enter the draft. I've not poked around to see if he's going to enter the draft. Uh, I'm sure I'll get a better grip on that as we get through the uh, month of November. Now on to the ACC for our second week eight review where Notre Dame really just boat race pit 45 to three. Not an unexpected result, but as usual, that's not what we were most interested in watching in this game. That was Notre Dame's bookend tackles, Liam Eichenberg and Robert Hainsey against Pitt defensive ends, Rashad Weaver and Patrick Jones. And really at the beginning of this game, Rashad Weaver came out and he was playing extremely, extremely well. Um, going up against Eichenberg for much of the, the first quarter, used his hands very nicely to stay clean. A great inside spin move using counters, good edge speed. Uh, when he went up against Hainsey, that was just a very big mismatch um, because Hainsey just could not get to the edge in time to really prevent Weaver from getting around the edge. Uh, you know, it showed strong hands in when dealing, um, you know, as a pass rusher, uh, just an impressive game from Weaver, especially early on. Um, Ian book was really the best neutralizer of the pit edge rush early on. He was able to step up. He had a couple big runs as the game went on, as the lead got larger, uh, the Notre Dame tackles, they improved a bit. And it also helps when you're playing with a lead in terms of going up against pass rushers, you know, Eichenberg is a guy sets a nice wide base, shows a good anchor. He can get to the second level to steal linebackers, much like we discussed with Walker. He can put defenders on the ground against the run as well. He's better sliding out to the edge, shows better overall footwork than Hainsey, who really did not cover the edge that well, whether it was against Jones, whether it was against Weaver, even lost the edge a couple of times to some of the backup defensive ends that came in because, I mean, the pit defense was just on the field so much in this game that Jones and Weaver could not play all the snaps in this one. Um, you know, I was more impressed by Eichenberg if we're talking about the Notre Dame tackles. And definitely if we're looking on the pit side, I was more impressed with Weaver. I don't really think Jones really made that much of an impact on this game, especially when it was close. Yeah. Weaver keeps getting better. The further removed he is from that injury, he's playing better probably now than he was at the beginning of the season. And really he looked good against the run. You know, he's a good passer. She looked very good against the run. I, I think forget about Hainsey because I think Hainsey is out of position at right tackle. He's going to have to kick move inside the guard. I think when you compare, uh, Eichenberg to say Rashid Walker, who we just talked about, you can see there was a noticeable difference in athleticism in the favor of uh, Walker. 
Uh, Eichenberg is smart, technically sound, but he doesn't move as well. He's not as agile. He got beat early in the game because he was bending at the waist. Uh, I think he's got some limitations. I don't think he's going to be able to play left tackle. In fact, I bet my bottom dollar on it. He's not going to be able to play left tackle at the next level. He's a right tackle, maybe a guard. Uh, I think he did a good job using his assets with body positioning and uh, and blocking angles. Like you said, I think Ian Book bailed him out a lot with his ability to pick up yardage with his uh, legs, with his feet. Uh, but I, I think Weaver had a decided uh, athletic advantage over Eichenberg. I think Eichenberg really just used state square, used good hand technique to get uh, to control Weaver when he got his hands on him. Um, but I think there's some red flags there for Eichenberg because he's not really athletic. He doesn't have a great upside. He's got some scheme limitations. You know, like I said, he's not going to be left tackle. He's going to be a right tackle, maybe a guard next level. Now for our final review this week, we'll go back to the SEC. LSU got back on track with a 52-24 victory over South Carolina, even without quarterback Miles Brennan, who missed the game with a lower body injury. TJ Finley filled in just fine, though, and really Finley's job was made a lot easier by feeding Terrace Marshall Jr. Six of his 17 completions did go to Marshall for 88 yards and two touchdowns. Now, I said on the show last week that a fourth straight multi-TD game for Marshall might not be in the cards because of his matchup against J.C. Horn, but really the two rarely saw each other. Marshall really thrived out of the slot while Horn stayed mostly outside. Horn did come inside to cover Marshall on one play in the goal line ended up being a pick route where Horn just couldn't get around the receiver running across and he just made it an easy touchdown in the corner of the end zone for Terrace Marshall, who really just looked good in this game. Adjusts well to balls thrown behind him, extends really well off of his body, can make defenders miss after the catch. He's really not a blazing fast type of guy, but he has enough speed to finish catch and run touchdowns. He had one of those in this game, showed some good patience in his route running on that as well, just delayed, waited a couple seconds, waited for everything else to develop and then snuck in over the middle. Obviously good play design, but also a good job by Mitchell to not give away his intentions when it comes to horn. I mean, he's a physical, physical corner did a good job against the receivers that he was faced against, but really disappointed that we didn't get to see more of him directly against Marshall. Well, a couple of things. Horn was getting frustrated at the end of the game. In fact, he got into a couple of shoving matches uh, with Marshall uh, on consecutive downs. I think cause he was getting, um, he was just getting aggravated. I think what really happened was LSU just took control of the game, primarily running the ball early on, if you remember. And then they really didn't need the pass. The big story here was obviously the true freshman, TJ Finley, who uh, when I saw him on the field, reminded me physically of Jamarcus Russell, who while Russell had his issues as the uh, quarterback of the uh, Oakland Raiders, first pick of the draft that year, he was a damn good quarterback at LSU. Uh, it, you know, like you said, they really didn't match up too much. I think JC Horn was getting a little bit frustrated. Uh, I, I think that the fact that uh, South Carolina was really not in this game from the get-go uh, led to uh, the frustrations. Uh, and, you know, basically he'll uh, live to play another day. Now we'll move on to our week nine previews here. But first, a word from our sponsor. With shoppers buying everything online these days, Getting those holiday gifts for family and friends is going to be harder than ever. But no need to worry, because our friends at Seattle Shirt Company have got us covered. Jay and the team have an unbelievable selection of NFL and NBA jerseys for everyone on your list. These jerseys are 100% authentic. 
from current superstars like LeBron James to all-time legends like Jim Brown, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and Walter Payton. The Seattle Shirt Company has it all. I wonder if they got one of Walt Clyde Frazier. I'd be interested in buying one of those if they have them. They probably do. I mean, they have lots of nice Mitchell and Ness jerseys if you check out their website, available right now for our listeners. Also available right now for our listeners, we have a special one-time-only pre-Black Friday Cyber Monday deal. Everything you buy at seattleshirt.com, especially a Walt Clyde Frazier jersey, is 30% off. So head over to seattleshirt.com and enter the code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, at checkout for your 30% off your entire order. Shipping is always free. Seattle Shirt Company, helping you get ready for the holidays a little bit early. Now, our first review this week takes us to the Big 12, where number 23, Iowa State, heads to Kansas to face the 0-5 Jayhawks. And you might wonder what NFL draft intrigue could come from Iowa State going up against Kansas. But the Cyclones have three potential NFL tight ends, including junior Charlie Kohler, a good all-around tight end, not a great athlete, but a guy who catches the ball well, very reliable receiver, effective blocker, 17 catches for 188 yards and one touchdown on the year. Senior Chase Allen isn't far behind, 11 catches for 158 yards and a score. And even Dylan Soner averages a catch a game as well. Kansas, obviously never really a hotbed of NFL draft talent, but linebacker Drew Prox, graded as a free agent entering the season, off to a nice start this season, has safety size, but that does create an interesting matchup against the Cyclones tight ends, being that he will likely be a safety special teamer type at the NFL level and will be tasked if he gets on the field on defense with covering tight ends. What are you looking for in this one, Tony? Yeah, Prox is a uh, transfer from Coastal Carolina who's really having a good season, as is Coastal Carolina. You got to wonder if, uh, the way they're playing if he's happy that he transferred. But, you know, he's more of an in-the-box, up-the-field type of run-defending safety. He's got average ball skills. The Iowa State uh, tight ends, none of them are really fast. None of them are your, your prototypical move tight ends that can get down the field and split the seam. What they are is they're all really tall, six four and a half or taller. A couple, two of them, Allen and Soner, go about six five and a half. They're all physical. They're all strong. So I think for Prox, who ball skills are basically down the list as far as his talents are concerned, this is a good matchup because none of these guys, none of the, none of the Iowa State tight ends are going to get down the field. They're all going to be in the middle of the field, really between the numbers, making plays, which is where Prox will have to show his mettle. Heading to the AAC now, where Houston wide receiver Marquez Stevenson, again playing well after a big 2019 campaign, a lanky deep threat who this season has two 100-yard games out of three, the third being a hiccup against BYU. This weekend, though, an even tougher matchup against the UCF secondary that we've discussed often on the show. Still no Brandon Moore, most likely, for the Knights, but Richie Grant, Small and explosive at safety, couple interceptions so far this season, 36 tackles, plays well against both the run and the pass. And he's going to have to play a role in this one, stopping Stevenson by helping a guy like Aaron Robinson over the top in coverage. Robinson, another potential NFL corner, in addition to Moore, does have good upside, throwing safety Antoine Collier. And you've got a trio of future pros here for the Knights that will all be looking to focus on stopping Stevenson. What you got to look for here is if the Central Florida defense, uh, defensive backs that Chris just mentioned can stay with Stevenson, if they can contain him. Stevenson is a legitimate D 
deep threat. He's a legitimate home run hitter that can score from any point in the field when the ball is in his hands. He gave serious consideration to entering last year's draft, decided to come back. Most scouts have him graded in that third, fourth round range. He's a guy that I expect to run in the four threes at the combine or in the pre-draft workouts. When you look at the, uh, the Central Florida defensive backs, you're looking at guys that primarily run in the low to mid four fives. Richie Grant's a four five five guy. Collier's a four five three guy. Aaron Robinson's more like a four five two guy. So the question is, you know, how do these Central Florida DBs match up against the uh, speed of Stevenson? I think they're much more physical than Stevenson, especially Grant. Uh, Robinson's pretty uh, explosive. He's a guy who can play backed off the line of scrimmage, which I'm sure they're going to do to guard against the speed of Stevenson. But again. You know, can the Central Florida defensive backs, all of them who are NFL prospects, Robinson's graded as a fourth round uh, prospect by a number of scouts around the country. You know, can they contain and can they prevent Stevenson from those big plays from the line of scrimmage? Now we'll go back to the SEC and we'll go back to KJ Costello, whose season has really continued to go off the rails. Just one touchdown pass in his last three games since lighting up LSU for five scores, eight interceptions in that same time frame. And these games came against Arkansas, Kentucky, and Texas A&M. Now, him and his top receiver, Osiris Mitchell, go up against Alabama. Mitchell had 183 receiving yards versus LSU, just 104 since. So his production has really tanked, as well as Costello's. Now they get to go up against cornerbacks Patrick Sertan II and Josh Job. Now Mitchell has a height advantage on this pair. But Sertan and Job, they're not small corners. They play physical ball. They're probably more athletic than Mitchell, especially Sertan. So while this matchup really doesn't look great on paper, I mean, no matchup with Alabama is ever going to look great on paper. Maybe Costello and Mitchell can revive what once looked like a promising season at Mississippi State with a decent performance here, even though a victory is really just highly unlikely. Yeah, I mean, Costello's got to revive his draft grade because he came into the season graded as a fourth, maybe third round pick from scouts. Right now you're looking at sixth, seventh round. And if he turns the ball over the way he had been or the way he has been during the early part of the season, good chance he gets benched for good. Because if you remember the last game, he was benched late in the game. If he keeps uh, throwing b- bad interceptions, uh, he could be benched for good. I think it is a big game for Mitchell. You know, the Alabama defensive backs, uh, especially certain have got a speed advantage, but Mitchell is a bigger physical receiver wins out for the contested throws. Uh, we've talked about Sertain in the past. He struggles making plays with his back to the ball, uh, which I think could play into Mitchell's favor if he gets catchable passes uh, thrown in his direction. Part of the problem with Costello is not only the interceptions, but it just his wayward throws where he leaves the receivers exposed to getting clobbered uh, when they try and extend and expose to grab his uh, pat, uh, grab his throws. So I think this is a big game for us, a big game for Mitchell as much as it is for CJ Costello. Now for our final preview, we'll take a look at a quarterback whose stock has gone the complete opposite direction of KJ Costello's this season. And that is BYU signal caller, Zach Wilson on an absolute tear to start the year, 16 touchdowns and one interception consecutive four TD games against Houston and Texas state. Now he gets Western Kentucky, who can at least provide some pass rush on him, maybe get him out of the pocket, maybe rattle him a little bit, or at least try to. Nothing has rattled Wilson so far this season. D'Angelo Malone and Juwan Jones are going to provide that pass rush off the edge for the Hilltoppers. Malone, 41 tackles in six games, seven for a loss, really outstanding numbers for a defensive end, 
more like a linebacker, which, you know, we discussed over the summer and a couple shows ago that he's a guy who could end up being a linebacker at the NFL level. He has more linebacker size than defensive end size, but he's used off the edge for Western Kentucky and really could make life hard for Wilson, at least harder than it has been so far this year. Jones is a decent prospect in his own right on the other side, more of a day three guy though, compared to the day two prospects of Malone. So really no breaks for Wilson here on the edges. Keep an eye also on safety Devon Key, the team's leading tackler with 46, couple pass breakups this year as well. Now Western Kentucky is not a household name, but this is a low key tough matchup for Wilson. Can he keep his momentum going, Tony? Yeah, I mean, Western Kentucky's had a tough go of it this year. They, they really haven't. They've been in some close games, and they've come out on the losing end. The thing about Malone is he's an undersized college edge rusher that really, if you're going to project him to the next level, is more of a 4-3 weak side linebacker. People like him. He's feisty. He's athletic. He's explosive. Covers a lot of area on the field. A uh, uh, guy who shows good range and good speed. The thing about both him and uh, Malone, we talk about Zach Wilson. Brady Christensen is the left tackle for BYU, and Brady C- Christensen is a legit NFL prospect. You're talking about fourth round right now. He's tall. He's got excellent length. He's got solid footwork and outstanding pass protectors and a good job protecting Zach Wilson. So while people focus on Zach Wilson, and obviously so because he's moving up draft boards, you know, one of the bigger matchups is not only how, you know, can Western Kentucky generate pressure up the field, but can D'Angelo Malone and Juwan Jones get the better of Brady Christensen, who's also a real legit NFL prospect in his own right. If you're looking at draft grades right now, you're looking at D'Angelo Malone as a second day guy. As I said, Brady Christensen, Christensen, fourth round, maybe third round. Jawan Jones a little bit further down the uh, chart because he's a pa- he's an undersized pass rusher that really doesn't play off the line of scrimmage. Uh, Devin Key is a guy I like, the safety from uh, – uh, from Western Kentucky. I don't think he's going to get drafted, but he's got excellent size at 5'11 and a half, 216 pounds. He's smart. He's tough. He's just not the fastest guy in the world. So he's going to be someone that's going to have to guard against the pass between the numbers. And when Zach Wilson takes off, you know, to, to run up the field and make plays with his legs, uh, Key's going to be a guy that's going to have to make the tackle. That's it for the 159th episode of the Draft Analyst presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms and leave us a rating and a review. And feel free to ask us questions on Twitter that we'd be happy to answer on the show. We'll be back next week with more NFL Draft coverage for all of you out there. But until then, for Tony Pauline, this is Chris Tripodi. Good night. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.